We've been doing a series on our cross and looking at uh, what our cross means, his cross and our cross. We're taking a break from that this week for Easter and looking at dead and unburied and looking at the idea of what does Easter mean for us and and what is the what is the message? Not just, I mean, we, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about uh, how amazing and awesome the resurrection is, but, but going beyond just that and looking even a little deeper. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Uh, on Friday, at Good Friday service, we looked at Acts chapter 1, and we looked at the, the command that God gave as Jesus said that we are to be witnesses. And we talked about what does it mean to be a witness and, and how do we proclaim the good news. And we talked about the fact that we are to claim the good news, not the bad news, and that a lot of Christians these days uh, are actually sometimes a little too, seem, seem to be a little too set on proclaiming the bad news of how bad things are and how broken the world is. And we said that we really don't need to proclaim that because that gets done anyway. The world is doing that just fine. In fact, we have several national news networks uh, across the whole political spectrum that are very good at telling you just how bad things are, but that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So in Acts chapter 2, the power that Jesus had predicted would come, he had said that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We talked about the fact that wasn't a Spider-Man origin story where they were going to get some sort of mysterious woo-woo, that instead it was the power to be able to effectively proclaim, to be a witness, and that that power oftentimes even involved the power to go ahead and die. So they get that power, and it's festival time in Jerusalem. Of course, Jesus has uh, died and risen again. It's been been over a month, uh, been like 30, 40 days, and uh, so suddenly, so, so anyway, Jerusalem's full of Jews from all over the empire who have come to Jerusalem for religious observance, and all of a sudden, these guys start preaching, and they're preaching in all these different languages, so no matter where you're from, you actually hear the message in your native tongue, and it's amazing. And so then people are like, but if you don't understand all these other languages, you're like, well, boy, what are these guys doing? It sounds like gobbledygook. Well, no, you just don't know the language because it's somebody else's language. And so then Peter stands up, and he gives a speech. He gives a sermon, and I want to share Peter's message with you this morning and try to get it a little closer to what it may have sounded like for him. So we're in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to look at Peter's message. And when I started this, the first service, like five people jumped when I started. So there's your trigger warning. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But... God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's what Peter preached. What was the response? What did, how did they respond to this message? It's a short message, straight to the point. Verse 30, verse 40, verse 30... Seven. Should have written that number down. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. The word literally means like to be stabbed. It's like a fairly violent word. They were pierced to the heart. They were stabbed in the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Sometimes we over-theologize and over-biblicize this and treat it like some sort of mysterious text as opposed to just a straightforward word of God here. So they're not asking, brethren, you have introduced some marvelous new theology to us. What shall we do with this fascinating piece of knowledge that you have shared of theological relevance? No, what they are doing is they've just been told that the Messiah that they as Jews have been waiting for all their lives. For generations, the Jews had waited. When will the Messiah come? When will the Messiah come? Then Jesus had shown up. And a lot of people went, oh, maybe he's the Messiah. He talks like the Messiah. He says he's the Messiah. Other people think he's the Messiah. Great, he's the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to beat Rome. Rome killed him. Oh, he's not the Messiah. And now Peter says, oh, uh, yeah, he actually is. Because now he's back. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He's not just beaten Rome. He beat death. He's the Messiah, and you killed him. And they go, huh? Well, now what? Must have felt a little doomed. We're the ones who killed the Messiah. Well, now what do we do? What's left for us? Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we read this as a bunch of pagans, and pastors like to use that word, repent. That's a good pastor word, you know? Get all fired up and go, you need to repent! Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> but what does he mean here? They said, what do we do? He said, repent. What does repent mean? It means change your mind. Change your mind. Think differently. 
That's what it literally means. It means to think differently, to change your mind. It has the idea of that mind change results in a new way of life. It results in I was going one way and I start going a different way. Change your mind. And he says, change your mind and then demonstrate that you have publicly. That's what baptism is. And they knew baptism. Baptism was not a new concept to them. They weren't, what is this strange baptism you speak of? Because, I mean, John the Baptist had been baptizing. Baptism was something you, they were used to. You go through this to demonstrate that you have changed. You do this to publicly show that you are changing your mind, that you are embracing a new idea. You're embracing a new way of life. So he says, they said, what do we do? We killed the Messiah. What do we do? He says, change your mind and demonstrate that publicly. Well, that's a simple message. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, which a lot of them were what? From far off. So this is in the folks back home, basically. As many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So in other words, this little snippet that I tried to dramatically present this morning was just part of what he said. We don't actually have the full text. We have a sample to give us an idea of this is the sort of thing that Peter said. But it said he, he, he had a lot more words. He kept on exhorting and testifying. But he said, be saved from this perverse generation. Now remember, who is he talking to? He's not talking about a bunch of pagan people. He's talking to religious Jews. And why are they all in Jerusalem? To pursue God. It's a festival, and they need to go to Jerusalem to worship. So these are God worshipers, and he says, and you need to change your mind. Change your mind. And come out from this perverse generation who's pursuing God the wrong way. Verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So just a couple quick notes there. Not everyone listened. So, said that everyone who did listen responded and went and got baptized. And notice they didn't say, they didn't sign up for a baptismal class. They didn't say, and if you've accepted that, please sign up for the baptismal class and we'll have 14 weeks. And then if you're really sincere and really mean it and you're a good person you can get baptized no it says they went "Uh uh-huh all right and so they got baptized and joined them that day three thousand remember that jesus wasn't new we we hear this message and we're like we almost think like that peter is presenting jesus but jesus isn't new i mean he had been around for 10 years three years sorry not 10 years three years he's lived in the place for 30 But for the last three years, he's been highly visible and getting more visible. In fact, he'd kind of become almost a rock star by the end of it because the rumors that were flying around because he kept doing things like, I don't know, the time he brought his best friend back from the dead. You know, that kind of caused a stir. 
And he fed people, and they, he fed them with no food. And then they followed him around for a day, hoping he'd do it again. And then he'd ridden in Jerusalem on a donkey, and people had celebrated him. And then they had the big trial, and a bunch of people yelled about, go ahead and getting him killed. And then they crucified him, and it got dark out. So this is not, I mean, Jesus has been in the news. They're not unaware of him. But this message from Peter finally puts it all together for them. And they go, oh, that's who he is. Oh, we'd wondered if he was Messiah. And now you've explained it, Peter. And so this is a unique message. Think about this message, because we're used to religion. We like religion. We are religious people. And by people, I don't mean like the American people. I mean like the human race. We are religious. As I've said before, yes, you can find atheists, but if you take the, you know, if we go back throughout human history and count all the humans, and then you calculate how many of, for all of time, how many humans have been atheists, you end up with a vanishingly small number. Few. Atheism is not normal for human beings. It just doesn't know what they do. Pretty much every culture you would find will have a religious system, a predominant one. And to this day, you know, even now we talk about, well, people are becoming less religious. No, no, actually not. I mean, there are atheists, there are people who reject it. But most people have some sort of sense of some sort of religion. And it varies widely. But even to this day, the billions of people living on the planet, the vast majority, the vast majority of them are religious. So we're not struggling with religion. Because we're really good at it. We seek religion. And even people, like, even people who say, well, there is no God, and they reject God and are atheists, a lot of them actually are fairly religious, but not in the sense that we're used to. They just have a different set of values, but they hold them much the same way we do. And sometimes even similar values, just for different reasons. But what is the basis of all these? Whether you are Muslim or a Mormon, or a Baptist, or one of the other, you know, all the Hindu, or even just a non-religious good person. All of them say, but here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And if you do this, then you'll be right. If you do this, then you'll be good. And this is how you should look, and this is how you should speak, and this is how you should act. And so the rules may change a little, and even they don't always change that much. But they all say, here's what you need to do. Now, if you look at what Peter shared, do you notice what he didn't share? Do you notice that he didn't share anything about what they were supposed to do during the message? His whole message is about Jesus. His whole message is about what Jesus did. The only thing he brings up about what they did, he goes, and by the way, you're the ones who killed him. That's why when he gets to the end of this message, they go, so what do we do? And what does he tell them? Think differently. Accept what I've told you. That's all he says. Why? 
Because the unique message is that this is not about what you have to do, it's about what he has done. The unique message is that everything we have is based on not what you do, but what he did. Now, accepting what he did will change you from the inside out. But we are so used to conforming from the outside in. To fix the outside so that the inside will be better. So you're supposed to look this way and act this way and dress this way. And these are the things you do. And if you do those things, then you'll be good. And of course, what do we know? We know through long experimentation that even people who are really good at changing the outside according to the rules aren't any different inside. And eventually what happens, eventually what's inside leaks out. Then we go, oh, I thought they were so much better than that. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they... Did you know what they did? Oh, it's a scandal. Well, only if you thought the outside could fix the inside. Only if you thought the outside was what mattered. But it says, no, this isn't about the outside. This is about the inside. You cannot fix the in by conforming the out. But... When you have understand, understood what he has done, what he did, and who he is, that begins to change you inside. And it begins to radiate out. See, it's not about acting different. It's about a different thought, a different heart, a different fundamental basis and understanding of what your life is and what your life means how does the world regardless regardless of its religiousness or not how do we understand our world how do we operate well the center of our world is me my stuff my needs, my wants. You've got a little fresh new baby there. Parenting's fun. You get tons of sleep and the rewards just never stop. And all the parents went, <laughs> and the grandparents went, <laughs> and the single ones went, what, that's not it? A small child wants to be comfortable, happy, and filled. Take any one of these three away, and they cry. What are babies known for? Crying. And what is parenting? Desperately trying to figure out how to keep all these three filled. So you're like, are they wet? Are they hungry? Do they have gas? Why are they crying? And the kid says, not going to tell you. Yes. But then don't worry. Oh, they grow up. They gain speech. And then they become easy to keep happy, filled, and comfortable. Wrong. They just increase their ability to express to you their frustration 
with not having these three things. And then parenting goes from how do I keep them to this to tell them, actually, you need to be okay with the fact that I'm not going to do that. So after the first year of how do I keep them all these three things, then they're like, no, I don't care that you're hungry. It's not supper time yet. And no, you can't have a cookie. And don't complain. But don't worry, they eventually turn into adults. And once, they, once you become an adult, then you no longer prioritize being comfortable, being filled, and being content. Right? <laughs> this is when you finally say, and now ain't nobody going to stop me. Because now I can do what I want. And ain't nobody going to make me do something that I don't like doing. And if this year that we've just been going through hasn't put a big circle around that tendency of saying, if I'm not comfortable, if I'm not getting what I want, well then, you're going to hear about it because I am not happy. Because I'm supposed to be comfortable, content, and filled. That's how my life works. And maybe we do it through religion, or maybe we do it through selfishness, but whatever you do it, that's we're the center of our universe. And sometimes even our scars and our hurts. Ooh. Because if you've been scarred, and that's a terrible thing if you've been scarred, and many of us have, if you've been deeply hurt, sometimes that becomes an amazing reason to keep me at the center because ain't nobody going to do that to me again. Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how I was made to feel And all that's true. People have been victimized. People have been deeply hurt. And so we say, so I'm entitled to make me the center. We all go, yeah, you probably are. Of course, that still doesn't work well. But the the change that Peter presents here as he talks about who Jesus is and doesn't talk about who they are other than say, you know, you killed him, but you don't have to fix that. Just believe. Change how you think. Later in the epistles, it's called by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by changing your mind. Repent. Because my life becomes centered on the God who loved me enough to come to me, die for me. Now, when it comes to deserving to be the center of the universe, you'd be hard-pressed to beat the guy who created the universe, right? Creator God, perfect, great in glory and honor and majesty, creator of all things, omnipotent, omniscient. If anyone deserves to make himself the center of all things, it's him. And so Jesus strides onto the scene, steps onto this planet that he created, filled with people who he created, and he says, listen, I have come not to be served, but to serve you and to give up my life. For you. So the one who is most entitled to put himself at the center and to live a human life at the center of existence says, nope. No, I will not 
come and dominate. I will come and serve. And I will give up myself. And that's what we studied over the last two months. And so then he says, now let me give that to you. And so that act of love of him on my behalf, where he says, Ira, this is how much I love you. I'll give myself up for you. I will die for you. I will surrender who I am for you. When that becomes the center of who I am, when I embrace that as my identity now, the one who God did that for, then that begins to ripple outward. It begins to change who I am. And so then, because I'm different, now I will act different. But the change is coming from deep within me, and you'll begin to notice. But I'm not changing the outside things. The inside is changed. And the inside changes the outside. Because now I see myself not as the center of my universe, but as the one who God died for and who lived for. And so then I don't worry about me so much anymore. And so then when I'm uncomfortable, because listen, you know, these things, okay, you know, we're all, hey, thanks for them, guys. It means a lot to us. I have yet to find anyone who loves these. I'm waiting for the person who says, boy, I hope they don't make us stop wearing these suckers. <laughs> nobody. I found nobody who wants to wear these. Oh, I can't wait. I go outside and go, smells <laughs> great. Makes you appreciate air. Like I don't even go over to Rumford where they get the mill and I would still go, ah, smells great. No, it doesn't still. <laughs> Jay's fine though. <laughs> but see it doesn't be, but then what's the basis what motivates me is it comfort filling and me it doesn't matter what's here half as much as the why I mean we can argue all day about whether we have whether we should kind of irrelevant, right? But what's the basis for whatever your decision is? Is it because I deserve my comfort, my filling? I had three and I've already lost one of them. I should write this stuff down, right? Is it am I motivated again to serve me, to protect me, to make sure that the center of the universe is my needs and my happiness and my contentment and my comfort. And Jesus changes that in me. Now, I'll tell you, you don't give up. For some of us, decades of being used to serving ourselves, it just doesn't go away. You just don't break those habits that you had since you were born of starting to cry the minute you're uncomfortable, unhappy, unfulfilled. Hey, got them back. And so, what is my life now? So I've been married 21 years, and I've been a parent now for 17 and three quarters. How'd that happen? 
And being married for 21 years and being a parent for 17 and three quarter years, I'll tell you, a lot of selfishness has been exposed in my life, and I have worked hard to give up that selfishness. And I will tell you, I am still amazingly selfish. It's hard to make you not be the center of your universe. It's incredibly difficult. It's a habit that is so hard to break. But what do I do? By embracing Jesus, that's he begins to break that tendency in me because he didn't have that tendency. He gave himself up for me. That's why when it talks to husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. To give himself up. The center of my universe is to give myself up. Why? Because he demands that? No, because he did it. And that changes me, and it will change you, and it will revolutionize your life. Because you're not worried about, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I a good person? Am I getting the outward right? Because you probably aren't. And if you try to fake it, we'll figure it out. And we'll call you a hypocrite, because you are. Because we are too. Because when you fake it, it's a fake. But as it plays out, as you say, God loved me. And you accept it. So what do you have to do? Because their cry is our cry, right? We've messed up, so what do we do? Now what do we do? We've messed up, now what do we do? We have violated our God, now what do we do? He says, think different. And then show it. Believe and be baptized. By the way, we're going to do a baptism as soon as it's warm enough to go in the water without hypothermia. If you're interested... Let me know. God loves you. We celebrate today how deeply he loved you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. And you'll never be good enough for it. And he didn't ask you to be. Our entire faith is not based on your ability to be different. Our entire faith is based on his work on the cross and coming out of that grave. And when you make his work the center of your life, you will begin to change. You will be different. It won't happen all at once. It won't always be neat and tidy. But he will begin to revolutionize your outside when you allow him to be the center of your inside. And not his demands, but his sacrificial love on the cross. Let's pray. Father, you loved us. You love us. You loved us so much that you came and lived among us and died for us. You were humble. You were weak and meek and yet not, not a loser, but you won through service. And Lord, today our world is full of people trying to be in charge, full of people saying they are the right ruler, that they are the one who's going to tell everyone else what to do. And, and so the world is constantly fighting our country. It's constantly at war with each other over who gets to call the shots, who can dominate everyone else. And we see nations and kingdoms and political parties all engaged in this, and even religions fighting. And your kingdom comes and offers love. 
and puts at its center your death on the cross. And Lord, today we celebrate a, a holiday still recognized around the world because of the power, even if it is widely misunderstood. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here, whether they're here on the stream or here in person, that they will look at you, see the powerful servant love that you demonstrated by laying down your life a love greater than any other love that can be shown. And Lord, may we make that the center of our lives. And may that begin to change us, what kind of husbands we are, what kind of wives we are, what kind of singles we are, what kind of children we are, what kind of parents we are, what kind of grandparents we are, what kind of neighbors or coworkers, or just a townsperson. Whatever role that we find ourselves in, a consumer, a boss, a business owner, may the center of our existence be your sacrifice for us, that you died on the cross to forgive us for our sins. You rose again to defeat death, and this act of love for us will define us. May we believe that. And then proclaim it and share this good news that you have done the work. And may that change our minds about us. Thank you, Father. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.